91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Thanks for tuning into The Grit on 91.3 KBCS Community Radio. I'm Yuko Kodama. Nobuko Miyamoto is an activist and music and dance artist who found her political and artistic voice in the Asian American movement. As a child, she and her parents were incarcerated in the Japanese-American internment camps during World War II. Later, she performed on Broadway and has since produced many creative works. Over the past few decades, Miyamoto has been facilitating workshops to encourage her community to tell their personal stories. In the 80s, became a very strong movement where people created one-person shows and they perform their own stories in their own style on the stage by themselves. And we created a festival called A Slice of Rice. We would do a slice of rice in a university here and there having three or four different artists. And we did one at Northridge. And after we did it at Northridge, this Vietnamese student came up to me and said, could you come and do a workshop for us? I did a workshop for them once. And that turned into a year and a half. Every Saturday for like four to six hours, we would get together. And these were students. Some of them were boat people. They knew each other as children in Vietnam. And they came over. There was something about them that was just capturing to me. And because I had protested against the war, I wanted to know. I had a curiosity about, well, what is the story of the children who grew up there? What happened to them? So I had my curiosity, and they had a need to express their stories. Most of them couldn't speak English very well. So I had to figure out how can they sustain a monologue? No, they can't. Maybe they could tell a story together. Maybe they can show what it felt like to be on the boat and to move together. Um, Maybe they can show one line at a time what it was like the first time they ordered uh, French fries at McDonald's. And it was fun, it was crazy, but it was also serious. And we created a whole performance and we performed it in San Jose in front of all Vietnamese audience, which I was like so nervous because there's a lot of tension in the Vietnamese community in those earlier days in the 80s and 90s of of anti-communism. So I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And it was first, it was tension in the audience, tension on the stage. But once these youngsters started telling their stories and telling it in charming ways, the whole audience just exhaled and just loved it. Seeing themselves on the stage telling the story, everybody needs their own song. That taught me a lesson. And so I kept doing this. I've done it with Cambodians. I've done it with Hmong people. And always I learn so much while I'm helping them tell their stories. I'm learning. In the last few years, I've learned that there are many other people like me doing this kind of work, not only in the Asian communities, but from Palestine to Nicaragua, there are people that are working with communities and helping them tell their stories in unusual ways. And it has helped helped the movement. It has sustained people and like in Palestine, saving lives of these children who once just threw rocks to, to get rid of their anger. Now they could get on the stage and tell their stories so that they could actually 
had another way of venting their anger. In Latin America, has given so much more importance to the arts and the movement. This happened from the early days uh, in the 60s and 70s uh, with Nueva Canción, the new song movement in uh, Latin America. The arts have been used in revolutions uh, through time. And to be able to know that we're not alone doing this, we don't do it as a commercial venture. We do it for a reason. It's not commodified. We're doing it to create change. We're doing it to give people voice. We do it so that it's a healing process for our communities who have had damage done to them. It uses art in a very practical way. We're not famous. We don't make a lot of money, <laughs> but we sustain. Being sustainable is, is a tricky business in this world. Uh, you can't say that you can do that in show business either. Yes, you can make a lot of money, maybe. Very few people make money and support themselves that way. Uh, but there are people like me all over the country, all over the world doing this kind of work. We're under the radar, uh, but it's important. I believe it's important work. I believe that it makes a difference to our communities. It makes our communities stronger, more aware, uh, more confident in, in their cultural strength, the strength of their cultures to sustain them. We've had so much taken away from us in this country. To, to claim who we are is an important thing these days. I want to get your thoughts on this past year and little bit, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, the the tidal wave of that, you know, just the pressure that had been building for so long, and then the the murder of George Floyd, you know, just being the straw that broke the back. And let me just start to say that for the last couple of years, and during the Trump administration, because uh, the border became a very uh, volatile subject and the the idea of these children and families being separated at the border and ignited a lot of activity in our community in the asian community especially those who had been in camp to see children separated from their families put in camps that we were put in make people rise to their feet and go to the sites to take action which is an incredible act of courage and anger, you know, because we know what it felt like to do that, for that to happen. We were with our parents and it was hard. Think about what it is for to be separated for months and months of, for, as a young child. So this was something that was rising up a, a couple of years ago. Then the COVID thing moved in and, and we were, pushed indoors, and we lived our lives <laughs> looking at these screens. Then George Floyd happens, and a young girl videotaped it. We witnessed what Black people have known since slavery. We witnessed what Black people have talked about, what Black mothers feared for their children, uh, for their, for your, their young boys and, and women too. Uh, 
I'm married to a black man and, and my, his mother is a hundred died when she was 111 years old. We took care of her every year for six months, a year, Mamie Kirkland. And she, she had to flee Mississippi because her father and his friend were going to be lynched. So these stories were around my kitchen table all the time. And she looked at the newspaper when Black Lives Matter was happening in South Carolina and, and, and uh, Charleston. And she was interested at 100 years old at all of this going on. So we talked about this and it brought up her stories. I mean, she marched with Marcus Garvey. I mean, this happening where her father's friend went back to Mississippi and was lynched before 10,000 people. And then to see George Floyd happen. And to see people, not only in our country, but around the world, rise up in anger and support for Black people. People risked a lot in many cases to do that. At the same time, with COVID going on, blame was being wrought on, on Asian people. We were being blamed for the virus. And so violence was coming, literally coming at people if they left the house. Friends of mine have been beaten up. Old elders have been pushed over and, 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 and harmed. So it's been an intense, period of time. We have been stimulated awake again in a very, very powerful way. One, the virus has showed us the world is connected. What we do in one place affects everybody. So that's a truth. Whether we want to face it or not, that's the, a truth. That black, there were people in all over the world who saw what happened to George Floyd, they, they could not be quiet. So we are affecting the world with what's going on here. So there is an awakening happening here that's very, and some people compare it to what, what happened in, in the movement. We had the Vietnam War was at that time, the thing that was arousing people. But now we're at a moment also of reckoning with Black reparations, just as Japanese Americans were in the 80s. In the early part of the movement, my awakening happened when I was confronted and with Black Panthers and saw the situation that they were in and that they accepted me as a sister. They knew that we went in camp and it was possible for them to go into camp. This was early. This was in 1968, 69. Some people think that this idea of supporting uh, Asian supporting black people is a brand new idea. And I'm here to say, no, no, look what happened then. We were always from the moment our movement started, it was connected with black people, third world strike, black people, Latino people together. Our movement also, it was with Native Americans, black people, Latino people, we have always been connected. I want people to remember that. I want people to be reminded of that. I want people to know that this is a, a long struggle.
that we've been going on. And little by little, things have changed. Yes, sometimes things get inflamed. And now we're at a point where uh, the anxiety that people of color are going to be the majority has come up. Um, there has been kind of, uh, especially with the, the with the violent crimes against the Asian community, and then there's been kind of a more activity around the Asian American community. And then amidst that, I I do see you know commentary about the that riff between the Asian community and the Black community, and you know, had they been there for us during the George Floyd protests? And, you know, there's this thing that goes on, right? We don't know each other's stories. And um, it's also, we have to be honest within the Japanese and, and the Asian community that racism, anti-Blackness exists. I've written about it in my book about how I was raised and how I was told, don't go play with Kuro-chan kids. Uh, and, but how my mother, who had a really difficult time accepting that I was pregnant with a black child and really cut me off. When I finally did deliver the baby, she was there with chicken soup and helping me. It's, she found a way to get over her fear, which was more fear than it was racism, but it was, it, there was also racism there. Black uh, Asian people are afraid, they don't wanna be treated as black people have been treated. So there's work that we have to do within our own communities. We have to be honest about the classism and the racism that exists within our ranks. But we also have to tell the stories of Yuri Gojiyama, who went to live in Harlem and raised her children there, sent them to freedom schools with black kids, who marched, and those children marched in black demonstrations. They, they, they gave up their beds for, for black people to come and stay with them when, when, when people would hang out and stay over their house. That's the way they lived. So we need to tell our stories. I mean, there are many people like Grace Lee Boggs is another instance. And here I am in Michigan right now. I just talked to Shay, uh, who's at the, the Boggs Center, uh, because Grace was married to James Boggs, who was a black uh, activist who was part of the uh, auto workers. And people in Detroit, they thought Grace Lee Boggs was 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 black. They didn't realize she was Chinese until after he died. Then, oh, yeah, I guess she was Chinese, you know, because she was so much a part of the black movement. We've had these people who, have, who are our examples, who are leaders and are inspirational figures in our lives. Uh, and we have to tell our stories. And then black people, and they have to know we're working on it. Yeah, we're not perfect. But but there are people, there, there are those of us who live our lives on crossing the border all the time between the Black and Asian communities that are trying to build solidarity and have, have relationships for forever, you know, in our lives. So both and, you know, it's true. Some people, Black people feel like they've been abandoned by, by Asians. 
And I would say most Asians have not participated in, you know, standing up and marching for black people. But little by little, with what's been going on, I think more people are engaged and interested and realize, oh, that's how, the way they treated us. You know, that's how we learn. Oh, that happened to me too. There are Chinese people that got lynched also, you know? We have to know about that. We, we, those things are buried. So that's why it's important that media, arts, storytelling, uh, to bring these to the forefront, including our shortcomings, including what we haven't done uh, and where we have to go so that people know that we're working on it. Um, we're aware of it. The more we know about our each other's stories, the easier it is to make an entree to, 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 to cross borders with people. We just, and that's the opportunity I believe we have in this country. That was activist and music and performance artist Nobuko Miyamoto speaking with me about the necessity of sharing our stories in our own voice. Miyamoto penned a book, Not Your Butterfly, my long song of relocation, race, love, and revolution. The Seattle Public Library, Elliott Bay Book Company, Densho Project, and the Japanese American Citizens League present an event with Miyamoto tomorrow, July 22nd. For more information, you can go to our website at kbcs.fm. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.